0: Um you ever I still have to preach. I still, I know. Yeah. Well, now I, I I'm you know the Holy Spirit's in charge. So <laughs> um hey, do you ever have uh one of those days coming up that you're just really looking forward to and and kind of you're building your life around that day like think about December. We're all looking forward to December 25th, um you know, getting food and gifts and all those things. Uh when I was moving toward marriage, the wedding day was kind of that day and everything was wrapped around that day Maybe you remember if, if you've been married uh, or if you got married at one point but for, for us you know first it was saving the money for the ring um, and I didn't make a lot of money at the time and I lived overseas so, scrapping every dollar I had and buying the ring, and then it was, you know, the proposal, and then setting the date, and we set the the wedding date, Um, and leading up to that, I was reading books about marriage, because I figured if I can know everything there is to know, everything will be great. Uh, Callie had an awesome four-year-old, so I was going to be a dad right away, so I was reading all these books about parenting, again, because if you read all books, then you can get it just right, Um, you know, and then, of course, you know, working out, trying to get in shape, people would say, you'll never look better than you do on your wedding day, I'm like, well, I'm going to make sure that's true, Uh, so I mean, everything, maybe you remember, everything pointed toward that day, do we have a day like that, that really we should be looking forward to, and wrapping our lives around that day, scripture talks about what's called the day of the Lord. The day when Jesus will return. Now, the day of the Lord for those who die, believers that die, is that day. It's the day they go to be before the judge. But Jesus is coming back. You know, and our hope is that he's coming back. We're looking forward to that. We know it's true. And so the question is, are we wrapping our lives around that day? Kind of like I did you know, moving toward marriage. Are we you know, reading the books, patterning our lives around Christ? We're in 2 Peter, so turn to 2 Peter if you would. It's near the end of your Bible. Um, It's a short book, so don't be afraid to look in the table of contents to find it. But here in 2 Peter, uh, Peter is giving some kind of final words. He's he's moving toward his death. He's going to die probably in Rome under the persecution under Nero. Um, And so he's kind of giving his last words, and he's writing to churches scattered around, it appears, um, and telling them, you need to remember some things. And, and we've been two weeks so far in 2 Peter. But what we've seen so far is in the first couple verses, as, as Paul was talking about, you know, Peter says, you, I'm writing to you who have the same faith as I have. Meaning we have equal standing before God because of what Jesus did on the cross. You know, our salvation is not by works, but it's because of Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his blood for our sins. Now, in him, we are all equal. You know, we don't need holy men to go through or holy women. We don't need prophets. We don't need those things. We can go straight to God. And so we're on equal standing. So then that grace that saves us, we see, is also the grace that sustains us. We've been given everything we need uh, for life and godliness, everything we need to flourish. And then last week we looked at the, the transition then is kind of how to live this life. And Second Peter, he was saying, make every effort to grow in virtue. So we're saved by grace, we're saved by God's work alone, but then we enter this process the Bible calls sanctification, by which we become more and more like Jesus, and it is a process, and it's a process which we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And and Peter says, make every effort, meaning work really hard to grow in these things. And look back at 2 Peter 1, uh, 5 through 8, and he just kind of lists some of these. Uh, grow in virtue, grow in knowledge, grow in self-control, steadfastness, grow in godliness, grow in brotherly affection, grow in love. He says, and, and if these are in your life and are increasing, this is verse eight, it will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, now let's grow, let's go somewhere, let's do something. And today, Peter's really going to give us our motivation for that. Now He's already said, wrap your life around this, and now he's going to give us the motivation because Jesus is coming back. So look with me, if you would, starting in verse 12. Peter writes, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word made more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Uh, We thank you for leading Peter to write this. Uh, Holy Spirit, for being uh, in his pen as he wrote. God, I pray that, that you would touch our hearts. Holy Spirit, you would convict, you would encourage you would take us where you want to take us, in Jesus' name, Amen. So you see here, Peter's giving us the, the motivation to grow in grace. But he begins in verse twelve, and I think this is helpful. Twelve and thirteen, he's I, I'm ca- writing to remind you. You know, it's kind of an encouragement. But he's saying, I, I'm not giving you anything new. You know these things, and maybe if you've read the Bible or or maybe you get in one of those ruts, you're like, I hear all this before. Kind of, yeah. I I mean, the message of the gospel is repetitive. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Our life is built on that, and we talk about that all the time. But yet we still need to be reminded there's something about us people where we're forgetful. Uh, He's writing to remind back in the Old Testament when Moses was about to die, similar situation. And Moses is is telling the the Israelites, remember some things and pass them on to your kids. Don't forget. You know them. But he gave them the great commandment there, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Moses said, now pass this on to your kids. Remind them. Talk about it when you're walking around. Talk about it when you're going to bed. Always keep these things in front of you. And that's what Peter's doing as well. He says, I'm going to remind you. But then he also says, I want to, this is verse 13, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. That's interesting. To stir up. He isn't just remember these things. It's remember, and I'm going to stir you to action. I want to see something happen uh, with this. Peter is reminding his readers to stick with the truth that they've been taught. Stick with this truth. And again, remind what? While well, looking before, to make every effort to grow in these virtues. That's one of the things he's wanting to remind them of. Grow in virtue. Be reminded that because of your new life in Christ, now make every effort to increase your Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness to others, and love. You know, side note. You know, we teach through the scripture and typically we do this verse by verse. Uh, But if you only stick to just a couple verses, sometimes you can miss the context. So it's helpful to read the whole book at one sitting. I I encourage you, if you didn't do that this week, that was your homework, by the way, do it this week. Uh, Read the whole book and you can kind of get an idea of Peter's, you know, thought throughout. um, Because here he's referring back to what he has already said. But grow in these things. We need these reminders and stir up. You know, that word means to arouse or to awake from sleep. You know, if you're becoming apathetic, you're just doing church, doing religion. He says, I want to stir you up. It's time to grow again. It's time to move forward with Jesus. And then verse 14, he says, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So he knows he's about to die. You know, we we don't know exactly, maybe he got another, you know, message from God exactly, hey, it's coming soon, Uh, but Jesus, when Jesus was still walking the earth, kind of told Peter, you know, you're going to go where you don't want to go, people are going to take you, and basically he just predicted his martyrdom. So Peter knew he was going to die for Christ, and here he thought, this time is coming soon. And so, and I think this is cool, verse 15, I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. How is he going to be reminding them after he's dead? The book of 2 Peter. This letter, this is partly why he's writing it down, so that when I die, you know, to live as Christ, to die is gain, and I'm living for him now, I'm writing this down, and I'm going to die soon, so I want to write it down so you'll have it, so you'll remember it, so you won't forget. Here's something really cool. Peter's still reminding us. You know, he was writing this to those churches then, uh, but we have many, many ancient manuscripts of 2 Peter. Some of the oldest we have are only within 200 years of when it was written. Now, 200 years, you think that sounds like a long time. Uh, but when it comes to you know, criticism of, of any literature, that's actually not very far. So the people that wrote it were basically copying down some of the original. And we have dozens and dozens of manuscripts. And actually, they take these and they've compared them. And 2 Peter, this book specifically, all the, the different manuscripts agree 96.6%. So there's really, what, 0.04%, 0.4% that might differ. And it's only things like, at the beginning, it says, Simeon, Peter, a servant. Some of them say Simon. Well, it's the Greek way or the Aramaic way. Or some, some places where it says Lord, others say God. Well, Lord is God's personal name, Yahweh. So it, all these small changes don't make any difference into it. So what, what I'm saying is we have miraculously preserved for us what Peter wrote. He reminded them then, he's continuing to remind us and we can trust what's written. And Peter reminds us of our motivation to grow in Christ-like virtue. He's reminding us to grow and of our motivation. So what is our motivation? Verse 16, this is really the key verse to understand the rest, verse 16. It says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The power and coming. His future return in glory. That's the big idea. We've told you about this. Now I'm writing to remind you. Jesus is coming back. The word there is perugia. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, but that is referring to a coming king. And the New Testament times they started using that word exclusively for Jesus' second coming. His return. He is coming back. And here's what's interesting. As we've said before, Peter is writing because there's false teaching moving into the church. Uh, there's, there's agno- or not agnostics, but there's Gnosticism. Uh, this, this belief that special people have special knowledge and they'll sell that knowledge to you for a price and you can get in on the inner group uh, and other false teachings. Well, here he's kind of making reference to that and some of the local uh, religion. So in that day and age, most religions were polytheistic. You know there was there was Greek mythology and Roman mythology, and, and a lot of them had that same idea. And so, what's the word mythology? You see a word similar here, myths, and that's the word mythos in Greek. And, and that word really meant myths, stories that were told about gods in order to teach you know some kind of principle, but not necessarily true. It's a story distinguished. From reason. And a lot of religions, that's what it was. These stories about what what is happening, but you don't actually have to believe that they're true. They just help you live a better life. They're allegories. Well, here, Peter is making very clear what we are teaching you is not a myth. These are not myths. Specifically, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. Jesus' power, the stories we read in Scripture are not myths. There has been a movement over the past few hundred years to try and and allegorize scripture or to say it doesn't actually mean what it says. These things didn't actually happen. Jesus wasn't actually born to a virgin. Jesus didn't actually walk on water. Uh, And this comes from a a branch of people who go, we can only believe what we can see. And so the supernatural isn't real. Miracles aren't real. So Jesus didn't walk on water. It just looked like it because he was walking in really shallow water. You know, or there was a, a sandbar out, and that's what Jesus was walking on that nobody could see, and it looked like he was walking on the water. Or when he fed the 5,000. You know, this is one where people were like, oh, how did he do that? Well, everybody else had food, and so they just started sharing, and that's how they, they fed 5,000 and they had some left over. You know, and on and on about these myths, that these weren't actually true. And Peter is saying, this is true. The things we're telling you are built on fact, not myth. Jesus did walk on water. Jesus did cast out demons. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, that was one of those, okay, well, we can't believe in the spiritual realm or demons and angels, so well, oh, that was just you know, people that were sick that Jesus was healing. No, he actually did these things. Our faith is built on the truth claims of Scripture. The truth claims of Scripture. Jesus wasn't just a good person. You know, that, that taught some good things. Jesus was God in flesh. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, he made very clear that people knew, I was dead, now I'm alive. You know, he walked around, he taught, at one point he appeared to 500 people at one time. So when these New Testament books were being written, people could go ask, Hey, I hear that Jesus appeared to 500. Yeah, I was there, I saw him. Yeah, I touched his side. We ate fish together so he could eat. Jesus really did rise from the dead. But not just did he rise from the dead, but he's coming back. And again, this is kind of the theme of the motivation to live this life because he's coming back. The day of the Lord is coming soon. And so let's live. Let's grow in virtue. Why grow in virtue? Because he's coming back soon. Why engage with the church? Because he's coming back soon. Why engage the mission? Because he's coming back soon. In youth group just this week, uh, I was talking with the kids and I asked them what stewardship was. And they didn't really know. So we talked about what stewardship is. You know, and it, it kind of led toward a steward, somebody who manages what is somebody else's. Until that person returns you know, and you see these parables in scripture. Well, that's what's happening. We are stewards of everything we have. Our time, our talents, our treasure, and someday the Master is going to come back and he's going to say, He was going to want an account. What did you do with what I gave you? Not just your money, your time, your abilities, those things. He's coming back. So stand firm in the literal truth of Jesus. And our motivation to live for and grow in Christ is the fact that Jesus will return in glory to judge and reward. This is going to be a theme a little bit later in the book too, but some of that false teaching was people were coming in saying, Jesus is not coming back. You know, he died, he's gone, carry on. You know, uh, uh, kind of a separation of even of spirit and flesh, but he's not coming back. So meaning, go do whatever you want. And that was some of this teaching moving in was, yeah, you're set free, so do whatever you want. You know, you're, you're, Not going to be condemned because of sin, because of Jesus on the cross. Do whatever you want, and He's not coming back. And later, Peter is going to address that exactly. You know, you think He's uh, slow in returning? As some count slowness, He's not slow, but He's patient, and He's coming. But He's being patient right now because more people need to be saved. That's why He's waiting. But He's going to come back. Mark thirteen. 26, it says, and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. This prophecy is written over and over in Scripture, in all the Gospels. John talks about it, Jesus talks about it, Paul talks about it, Peter talks about it. He's coming back. Now, moving on to the next couple of verses, Peter's going to provide proof that he's coming back. We, we say it's coming back, and Peter said, and I've actually seen his glory. Verse 17, for when he, referring to Jesus, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him, the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. What is he talking about? He's talking about the transfiguration. If you remember that story, where Jesus went up on the mountain and he took uh, Peter and John and James with him. Uh, It's in Mark 9, 2 through 9, but this is your note before we look at that. Peter understood the transfiguration to be proof of Jesus' future return in glory. Isn't that unique? That was how Peter interpreted that transfiguration on the mountain, that this is proof that Jesus is coming back A glimpse of his future glory, his future reign. And again, this is in Mark chapter 9. And it's here on the screen. I think we start in verse 2 there, but here's verse 1 in Mark 9. It says, And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So Jesus said, there's some among you, some among the 12, who are going to see my glory and majesty. And this translated, some would say, okay, that means Jesus is coming back in their lifetime. We know that's not true because they're all dead and he hasn't come back yet. But this goes right into the next account of the transfiguration. And after six days, Jesus took with them Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, I love Peter. Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Uh, Let's make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I don't think Peter knew what to do. (laughs) For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around them, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Can you imagine that? They couldn't tell anybody till later. You walk down the mountain after seeing Jesus transfigured, seeing him in the glory he, he's going to have when he comes back. And he's like, but you can't tell anybody. You know, you think the three of them would sneak off just to talk about it. Well, later, finally, they could tell the story. It was written down. So this was a picture. This was proof that he's coming back. He says, we heard the voice, uh, the father. And by the way, that voice from the cloud, that cloud is kind of a picture of Old Testament. Remember, God was present with his people in the form of a cloud. The voice came from the cloud, but it wasn't speaking to Jesus this time. The voice was speaking to those three. This is my son. Listen to him. So this is a picture, again, a picture of what's to come. But then he says something else. So we're eyewitnesses, we saw it, but also, verse 19, and we have the prophetic word made more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in the dark place. What is he talking about? The prophetic word made more sure or more fully confirmed? He's referring back to all the Old Testament predictions, the prophecies of Jesus coming, of the coming Messiah. He says, you have it written down. You trust your scriptures. They're right. We've seen it, which agrees with scripture. Throughout this whole section, Peter kind of starts to pepper in references to Old Testament prophecies, Old Testament pictures of Jesus. They didn't know his name was Jesus in the Old Testament. They just knew the Messiah is coming. The first one there is, you see, with him on the holy mountain. You know, right here, we just think, this is the end of verse 18. Peter's just talking about where they were. They went up onto a hill. But this is the same words used in Psalm chapter 2. So I'm going to read you Psalm 2. Because Psalm 2 is what he is alluding to here. And the whole psalm is written pointing toward the coming Messiah, Psalm 2, why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that's the Messiah, that's Jesus, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion my holy hill. Same words there used, speaking of the same future event of Jesus coming in glory to rule. Verse seven, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth, your possession, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Listen to this. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see how this parallels Peter? I mean, what, all of Second Peter, what he's been writing about. Live righteously, make every effort to grow in him because he's coming back. The same thing's written in the Psalms. God is sending his Messiah, He's gonna come, so serve the Lord. Fear, and tre- or with fear and rejoice with trembling. Here's what they didn't understand at that point: was that the Messiah would have to be the suffering servant first. He would come and he would die on the cross first to cover our sins, so that we could be saved. So he could deal with the sin issue. Next, he will return in glory, to bless and to judge. Now, there's other references here, and there's other prophecies. You know, he talks about here, until the day dawns. This is verse 19. Pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. There's two more kind of allusions to Old Testament prophecies. Joel 1.15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. And then Obadiah 1.15, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. The Old Testament is full of these predictions. And so what Peter is saying is trust scripture. Trust the Old Testament it refers to a morning star. Numbers 24.17 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. Why is Peter making these little references to all these different places in the Old Testament? Well, what does he say? He says, we have the prophetic word. Now it's been confirmed because we've, we've seen him transfigured on the mountain. So do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Scripture's true. That's what Peter's saying. The Old Testament prophecies are, are true. You can trust it. The Old Testament... And the New Testament tells the same story of the Messiah's coming. And Peter's eyewitness account confirms it is not a myth. Because scripture is a light shining in a dark place. Remember Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Here's one of Peter's themes. Later, he's going to refer to Paul's writings as scripture. He refers here specifically to the Old Testament, which they had at that time. That was their scriptures. They believed them. They trusted them. They lived by them. Because Jesus is returning, live in anticipation of that great day. Look forward to that. And how do we do that? Several things. Scripture for one. That's what he's saying. Live by the light of scripture until he comes back. We won't need it when he comes back because we'll have him. But now go back to the beginning of the book. Grow in virtue. Basically, wrap your life around Jesus. Kind of like I talked about at the beginning, looking toward our marriage, our wedding day. My life was wrapped around that. Peter's saying the same type of thing. Wrap your life around Jesus' coming. When he comes back, how will he find us? Will he find us about his work? Will he find us distracted? Will he find us uh, chasing after money, fame, power, pleasure? What is he going to find us doing when he returns? When he comes back, I'm hoping I'm in shape spiritually. You know, I, I hope I'm ready to see him. And I hope we as a church can announce this coming, not go, oh, time out. Can you go back and come back in about 10 minutes? You know, I got to get some things fixed. When he comes, there will not be a second chance. He's going to come like that. And the righteous, meaning those who are righteous in Jesus, not self-righteous, will be rewarded. Those who have chosen to reject Jesus will enter judgment and there won't be a second chance. Scripture makes very clear. There is no second chance. So if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as Lord, here's the message for you. Say yes to Jesus. He may come back later today. You may get hit by a truck later today. I hope not. But we don't know. This isn't something to put off because he's coming back and there is no second chance. It, It isn't one of those when people see him, oh, now I believe. No, faith isn't by sight, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've heard the truth. Have you said yes to Jesus? If not, do that today. We're going to close with a couple songs. I'll be available in the back. Somebody else will also be available. Come see us. We'd love to explain the way of salvation to you. We'd love to pray with you, whatever that is. But if, if you've already said yes to Jesus, now, if he came back today, how would you feel? You know, if if he showed up at your house and checked your computer, would you be okay with that? (laughs) You know, if he came and he saw your marriage or how your parent, whatever it is, if he looked at your tax return, would he be okay with that? Or would he be like, ah, (laughs) you you skimmed a little here, you you snuck around. When he looked at your checking account, you know, where your money goes, would, would he be okay with where your money goes? Are we living in anticipation of his return. Because when he comes, he will bless and he will judge. That's Peter's main theme here. He's coming back, and all the rest supports that one truth. The Bible says so. I've seen it. You can trust it. He's coming back. And so, do you believe he's coming back? And are you living in anticipation of that day? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come back. We know you are. I can't wait till you are. I would love for you to come back before my kids grow up um, and enter this this scary world. But God, we trust you. We trust you. God, there is pain and there's suffering. Your servants around the world are dying for their faith. God, and I know those who are dying for their faith are doing so joyfully. uh, And they will receive their rewards. But God, we ask you to come back. Uh, Every day we hear more and more stories uh, going on and on of of the darkness in this world. And it just, it stirs our hearts to say, Jesus, come back quickly. As John wrote in in the book of Revelation, Lord, return. And I do ask, though, that that when you return, you would find us about your work. For me, personally, Jesus, when you return, I I want my life to be in order. So if, if there's anything in my life out of order, show that to me. And then empower me, Holy Spirit, to make those things right. God, I pray for us as a church, as individuals and as a church, that when you come back, that you would find us about your work. As I look at this virtue list, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would grow us in these virtues. Grow us in our love for you and our love for one another. Grow us in our purity, that Jesus, we would be like you. And then use us to do great things. Use us to save the lost. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.